Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. Hello. All right, and welcome back. <laughs> Me and Taylor had our weekly standoff where we look at each other intently <laughs> to figure out who was going to break the silence and welcome you to the episode this week. Obviously, we had um, the same thought process. So, mm-hmm. welcome to This Is Gonna Sound Weird. Mm-hmm. I am one of your hosts, Sydney. I'm your other host, Taylor. And, yeah, this is a podcast. Uh, Sydney usually says this, but I'm gonna do it. This is a podcast about all things true crime, paranormal, and everything in between. And, Sydney, what is our theme for this week? Our theme for this week is don't trust the government. Now, we know that... If you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't trust the government already. However, mm-hmm. we want to give you even more reasons not to. Two and reasons, to be exact. Mm-hmm. Taylor's story and my story for this week. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I don't trust anybody, so the government shouldn't be offended by this. That's true. That's true. I really, yeah, if the government, if you're listening to this, please don't be offended. <laughs> um, I trust, and, uh, you know, I trust about two people. And uh, one of those is, you know, a dog. You know, I trust a dog more than I trust Mm -hmm. a human. Oh, same. For sure. Except for sometimes I don't trust my dog. He's got shifty eyes. We've talked about it before. Y'all get the vibes. Oh, I do not trust your dog. (laughs) I, he's, I don't know what he has on his mind, uh, but it it ain't good. He do have shifty eyes and I'm pretty sure he might be a skinwalker. I think so too. Sometimes he'll get this look, and sometimes even when I'm petting him, he's real particular. And I'll be like, you know what? I feel like he ain't feeling the vibes right now, so I'll just slowly take my hand away, and then he'll walk away. I'm like, yep, I could tell. I could tell he wasn't feeling it. He ain't like a golden retriever where you could sit and pet him all over his whole body all day long, and he is just gonna eat it up. Mm 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 mm. He only wants to be approached when he wants to approach you. That's fair enough. Um, I'd like to go on record and say that I also would not like to be approached unless I mm-hmm. approach you. And I think, uh, you know, that's uh, that should be everyone's stance on this. Maybe text is just all about social distancing. Yeah. I Yeah, I've actually been approached uh, in the grocery store like twice recently. Uh, the one time I did give the man some money because I had some cash. The other time... A dude stopped me in the parking lot of a Harris Teeter. You know, Harris Teeters that have, like, gas stations in them, right? So he was driving around the Harris Teeter parking lot, not the gas station. And I guess I look like I have a kind face. And he was like, hey, ma'am, I'll give you my ID. Will you go get me $4 of gas? I'm here from New Jersey and something else. I was like, uh, I was just like, I gotta go home. But I wanted to be like, why would I need your ID? Also, why are you not in the gas station parking lot asking people for help? And he just kept circling around the Harris Teeter parking lot. And he acted like he was, like, very close to running out of gas. So I don't know what was up with that, but it, it sketched me out. That would also sketch me out. Um, I'm not going to go to Harris Teeter for a couple reasons. One, the groceries are priced just a little more high than I like. Uh, and sometimes I do go because the past couple times I've gone to my preferred grocery store they haven't had lettuce and Harris Teeter has now that being said I've been yet to be approached but that's probably because 
I just have the worst resting bitch face when I am in the grocery store. Just, they're like, oh, no thank you. Yep. Yeah, I don't know what it was, uh, but, you know, he, I don't know. I won't go with people. Like, sometimes people, if it, somebody's in a grocery store and they're like, will you go to the cash register with me to pay this? No. If I have some cash and you seem genuine, I will give it to you. But I'm not going to go with you anywhere. Nuh-uh. Never. We listen to too much true crime. We host a true crime podcast. You ain't going to catch us slipping. I ain't going mm-hmm. with you. Nowhere. No. All right. Do I go first? Yes, I believe so. Um, yes. Yes, yes. You okay. do. You do. So please tell me why you don't trust the government, Taylor. I don't trust the government because birds are not real. Mm, I've heard that before. I've been Have told you? that. Mm-hmm. Well, these are my sources. So military.com, six wild U.S. government conspiracy theories explained by Blake Stiltwell. Wikipedia.com, the birds aren't real page. NewYorkTimes.com, birds aren't real, or are they? Inside a Gen Z conspiracy theory by Taylor Lorenz. And the birds aren't real.com page. Okay, so have you ever looked at a bird and been like, hmm, I wonder if that bird's real? Or is it actually a government drone? Yes. Seagulls specifically. I agree. The other day when it snowed here, uh, there was seagulls filling a parking lot, and I thought the seagulls liked it hot outside, but I guess that's a lie. So, a bird. It could not be real. Well, you should consider the, that possibility very carefully, because there are claims that the Birds Aren't Real movement has been around since about 1976. Uh, the theory begins with the idea that the CIA used poison gas between 1959 and 1971 to kill off over 12 billion birds in an operation called Water the Country. The poison gas that was given to these birds would infect them and give them a virus that they then passed on to other birds. And this, boi- this poison would be sprayed from an altitude of 8,000 feet but it would dissolve before it was able to hit the ground, so only the birds would be affected. So people were safe, birds were not. Now, once the birds were all killed off, they were replaced by drones that were built by the government in Area 51. And the purpose of these birds was so that the government could monitor and watch people and their behavior. And obviously birds would be a good way to do this because birds are everywhere, they fly, you know, they can get around real quick. So, within about the next six years, about 15% of the bird population was wiped out. And during these years, a few of the bird prototypes were made. Um, And because the word drone obviously wasn't used at the time, the birds were simply called robot birds. Very clever. Kind of like, was it Robo Chicken? Is that a thing? Yep. Yes, Robot Chicken. Robot Chicken. Um, and it's said that the fake birds have to sit, you know, birds sit on power lines a lot. And the reason that they do this is because they're having to recharge themselves. Um, and, you know, birds often shit on your car as well, sometimes on you. And the they, reason that they, they do. do this is so they can track you. Um, and I'm actually currently being tracked because a bird doo-dooed on my car today while I was in class. God. They knew. They knew that oh, you were about to oh, expose them tonight. Uh, now, and you know, the first time I got doo-dooed on by a bird, I was really young, actually, and I was at a baseball field. 
So I've been being tracked for a long time. I'm sure that doo-doo just seeped down into my bloodstream. And now I have a microchip in my bloodstream from that doo-doo bird. Now, some people even think that President John F. Kennedy may have been assassinated because he refused to help implement this bird spying program. And you know, I've heard a lot of theories about his assassination. This was the first time I'd heard this one. I think it should be more widely known. Uh, I think it should be because I think that's probably the most plausible. I would say so, personally. (laughs) I think it was a bird that (laughs) shot him. (laughs) It was a pigeon with a Glock. (laughs) Damn. You know what? I agree. And I can picture that pigeon right now. I picture him. He's wearing, uh, you know, a little hat, a little green hat. Now, some people say, you know, that the movement dates back to the 1970s. The actual birds aren't real movement and conspiracy theory. But it really only gained momentum recently. So within the past few years, billboards in places such as L.A., Pittsburgh, and Memphis were popping up making the declaration that birds aren't real. Social media accounts for Birds Aren't Real supporters have also gained thousands of followers and some of the videos have gone viral. But it turns out that the conspiracy seemingly stemmed in Memphis, Tennessee in January of 2017 by a young man named Peter McIndoe. And later in 2017, he posted this on Facebook. Quote, I made a satirical movement a few months ago and people on Instagram seem to like it a lot. And people are like, oh my gosh, are you telling me that birds are real? And he was like, no, no, no. That, that I didn't post that. He said that the person who posted that on his Facebook saying that the movement was fake was written by a staff member of the Birds Aren't Real movement, but they ended up firing the staff member for making this preposterous statement that birds are real, basically, by saying that the movement is satirical, you know? So... In 2017, the movement Mm -hmm. gained traction, and it gained it outside of the internet, outside of social media, and McIndoe, I really hope I'm saying this name right, McIndoe, 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 it's M-C-I-N-D-O-E, I'm trying my best. So him and other supporters showed up at a women's march at the University of Arkansas carrying anti-bird signs. Oh no. Not at the Women's March. <laughs> uh, and then in 2018, the, mov- the movement was growing so much that uh, McIndoe, I don't know why I used his last name, I'm going to be honest. What was his first name? Maybe I should just, Peter, Peter, uh, actually dropped out of college uh, to continue the Birds Aren't Real movement. So he was like, you know, screw it, college ain't for me. I'm out here trying to push the message that birds are not real. So for years Peter was the leader and the biggest supporter of Birds Aren't Real. But in 2021, something shocking happened. And he said that birds are real. Oh. Take a minute. What? And that he actually doesn't believe in this conspiracy theory. And he hasn't believed in it the whole time. (gasps) Yeah. He dropped out of school (laughs) for something he doesn't believe in? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think he was being uh, held up by a bird when he said that. I think that a bird, th- that very same pigeon that shot JFK, said, put a gun to his head and said, you better say you believe in birds, I swear to God. See, that's what I'm saying. Why 
would this person do all this? Why? And I'll tell you why. So, you're wondering what's going on. Why did this happen? So, this is how it actually all started. So, Peter actually started this satirical conspiracy theory on a whim one day. He said it honestly started as a crazy joke to him, but he kind of saw it as a reflection of the crazy world that we were living in, in, you know, 2016, 2017, and now, uh, years, which was filled with, you know, fake news and misinformation all over the place. So, he started just walking around pushing this theory and would literally just, like, improvise the conspiracy as he was walking around, uh, just kind of a big game of improv. And so one time he was walking mm-hmm. around talking about the history of the conspiracy theory and somebody filmed a video of him and he didn't know and they posted it to Facebook and the video went viral, especially among young teens in the South. So soon after this, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, birds aren't real graffiti began showing up everywhere and people started writing the phrase in their schools, you know, on the blackboards, on the walls, and people started making stickers And so at this point, Peter just leaned into the conspiracy and he uh, started embodying the birds aren't real leader character. He uh, also had a friend named Connor Gatos who actually wrote an entire false history of the movement in which they concocted elaborate theories and even made fake documents and evidence to support the claims. Now, if you go to the birds aren't real website, the whole history is up there, and it was so long. I did not read it all, and I did not include it all here, because it literally will be, like, fake conversations between people in the government. Like, it is wild. They put a lot of work into it. Uh, it could have been, you know, a paper for a, a creative writing class in college if he hadn't have dropped out. Um, but he said that what it really was becoming at this point, the conspiracy was an experiment on misinformation and that they were able to quote, construct an entirely fictional world that was reported as fact by local media and questioned by members of the public, unquote. And so around this point, the movement was getting big and this was around 2018. And this is when he dropped out of college, as I stated earlier. And so he made some posts on Reddit that shot to the top. He even hired an actor to act as a former CIA agent who confessed to working on the bird project. And they posted the video on TikTok, which I haven't seen. I'll have to see if I can find it. And it's got over 20 million views, uh, which, you know, I don't know, in TikTok today, is that still a lot? Probably. Um, And he even hired actors to play as bird truthers in videos that he started putting out on Instagram. So, like, this was a whole thing. And, like, I've seen the birds aren't real, like, t-shirts and stuff, but I didn't really know, like, what it all was. Because soon after he was posting all the videos, they started selling the birds aren't real merch. And I'll be honest, it's kind of cute. I saw a shirt that I kind of want. I can agree. Hey, listen, you put a well-made t-shirt on, I'll be like, you know, yeah. buy it. Uh, so the money from the merch was sold, uh, sorry. So the money that they got from the merch that they were selling was used for, um, the two guys who kind of were over this now, they were using the money so they could basically be birds aren't real, uh, leaders full time. They would use the money for housing expenses and they would use it to buy billboards and to fly out members of the quote bird brigade to rallies. 
So I guess that's what they call their people. They're the Bird Brigade. So they would literally pay money. Not the they bird would pay brigade. money to like send people to say a women's march or something like that to have anti-bird science. <laughs> like, uh, um, I yeah, I think I'd have to be paid for that, and I'll tell you why. Because I would be so terrified that like you go to a women's march, you know, people uh-huh. get pretty emotional. Could you imagine? Someone being like, I'm out here trying to fight for equal pay, and you're saying birds aren't fucking yeah, real. Yeah, and I actually... Like, oh, I couldn't no. do and it. And I actually get to that a little bit in a minute. Uh, so, some people were worried, which I thought the same thing, that what this group was actually doing was going to be more harm than good, because what they were doing was just spreading even more misinformation, which is what they're trying to, you know, seemingly get rid of. But they argued that what they're doing was actually just a place for people to come together and process the harmful conspiracy takeover in America and kind of go against, you know, things like QAnon, which we should go over QAnon one day because it's wild. And I have seen people even like from my hometown who I can tell like, oh, they're QAnon people. Um, If you don't know what it is, maybe we'll go over it one day. But it's a lot to get into and it's just wild it's basically you know the whole thing that the government is one big giant child sex ring who uh is taking children's souls you know stuff like that stuff like that Mm, yeah we're gonna get back to that but um peter said that the birds aren't real is quote a way to laugh at the madness rather than to be overcome by it. Which, like, I guess, but at the same time... I mean, I guess it's so crazy that, like, people really can't believe it, but somebody might. Um, but many people in their young 20s actually say that the movement has been kind of cathartic for them. And the Birds Aren't Real protesters have actually become somewhat of a positive political force in an odd way. So they'll often show up to de-escalate tensions during protests. Um, For example, they showed up at a protest in Texas this past September following uh, Texas uh, passing that restrictive abortion law. So, like, obviously those protests were Mm -hmm. very um, heated. Now, they were going in and they were trying to get the um, anti-abortion people out of there. Okay, so there were people at this protest boasting signs that had very graphic imagery and were aggressive and were, you know, condemning people who didn't support this new restrictive law. Um, And obviously arguments were breaking out. So the Bird Brigade started chanting, birds aren't real birds aren't real (laughs) and soon their shouts overpowered the anti-abortion activists that were causing such a ruckus and those activists left so they were there trying to get yeah the people who were in support of this restrictive law uh they were there trying to get them out of there and it worked because they left um now you know in this instance maybe it worked but i could see that the birds aren't real people I could see them not de-escalating, but actually escalating tensions. Because, yeah, I would want to be like, we're here fighting for a real cause. And you're here telling me that birds are government drones. Like, get out of here. You know what? There is an abortion clinic right down the road from me. And, like, every Saturday, they have people out there. 
and they're fucking oh. kids out there. And so, there is an old ass lady who's got no. a microphone with a little speaker, and she be just out there talking. And I, you know what? I think I know what I'm gonna. I think I know what I'm gonna do one hey. Saturday. I'm gonna chant "Birds aren't real" outside of the abortion clinic until these anti-abortion people go away. Yeah. If anybody wants to join me, you know, hit me up. We can get a group together. We could dress like birds. <laughs> I have to get somebody creative. If any of y'all are creative, come on out. This is my address. 555-678-9101112. Lane. Bird lane. Bird lane. Birds aren't real lane. Uh, so, but... When Peter, you know, the leader of this movement, actually broke character in 2021 um, and said that birds are in fact real, he said that it's necessary in order to further the movement and going forward because he said his goal now is to help people make sense of America's current state and the internet, especially when it comes to this type of crazy conspiracy misinformation. And he said, quote, I have a lot of excitement for what the future of this could be as an actual force for good. Yes, we have been intentionally spreading misinformation for the past four years, but it's with a purpose. It's about holding a mirror to America in the internet age, end quote. And that is the birds aren't real conspiracy theory. Um, and if you would like the full story of why birds aren't real, Go to their website. You can get some merch. You can read the story about it. Uh, the first picture is like some government people sitting around a turkey, robot turkey or chicken. It's, <laughs> it's something. Well, thank you for that. Um, this is funny because Peter, that guy, uh-huh. you know, leader of Birds Aren't Real, I saw a TikTok of him the other day where he is on, like, a local news station, I guess, talking about the movement. Uh-huh. And um, at the end, he goes to take a sip of water and, like, chokes and absolutely spits it everywhere. I watched that video easily ten times. It's hysterical. And it's one of those things <laughs> you're like, I'm pretty sure, like, as a younger person, I'm like, he's doing it to be funny. Like, he didn't really choke on this water. Um, but like the news people are like older and they're like, oh my God, is he all right? I need to look <laughs> so it up. So I, I will post that on our uh, Instagram <laughs> later this <laughs> week because y'all, I, y'all need to see it. <laughs> yes, I would like to see that. But let me go ahead and tell you why I don't trust the government, Taylor. Okay. I'd like to know. I do not trust the government. Because of a little guy, a little gentleman named Theodore Kaczynski, mm. a.k.a. the Unabomber. Dun dun. Now, this one, I actually didn't know, really, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't know anything about the Unabomber. Uh, I think because he was pretty much, you know, he was done by the time we were kids, mm-hmm. so it's not like anything that we really know, and got overshadowed by you know all the school shootings we have so uh but uh yeah he he's fairly interesting um my only knowledge of him before this was he is referenced in goodwill hunting so i knew he went to harvard that was about the extent yeah so my sources were fbi.gov 
wikipedia.com, Psychology Today, The Atlantic, encyclopedia.com, The Harvard Crimson, and my boyfriend, Colton, who knows a lot about him. Wow. (laughs) Wow. And told me to, and told me to do a, told me to do a a story on him. Well, he better listen. Here you go. And you better give us... No, I've told, I've told him he can't because I get embarrassed. Well, my fiancé doesn't listen, so... Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. Anyways, so... Theodore Kaczynski was born on May 22nd, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois. Ted had been a happy baby, but when he experienced severe hives, he was forced into hospital isolation... And so he had limited contact with others, and this caused him to become pretty withdrawn, which, you know, those at an early age, that's when you learn how to socialize. So I feel like from there, he kind of just, he was playing catch up. Yeah. But Theodore was a bright kid, nonetheless. He had an IQ of 167, whatever that means. Must be good. Yeah, I saw something today that said, it was like, this person's smart and this person's a genius. And I think Albert Einstein's IQ it claimed was only like 163, but don't hold me to that. What's the range? Like, is it to like 200? I don't know. I really don't but know. But all you need to know, he was a pretty smart dude. And he ended up skipping grades, making it where he was no longer with people his own age. And actually, this is really sad. The older kids in his grade would bully him. Because he was so young. Oh, man. And this caused him to become more withdrawn. And he actually ended up graduating high school at 15 and enrolled at Harvard University on a scholarship at 16. Damn. Damn. I know. Oh, my God. At 16. Meanwhile, over, meanwhile, at 15, I was just like, God, let me pass geometry. It's so difficult. Honestly, when I was that age, I was still barely, I was scared to stay at home by myself. <laughs> Listen, that's to be fair. I have been to your house, and I, it do be getting very dark at night. It do. Meanwhile, I know some kids at 15 were out partying in a freaking basement with some 20-year-old dudes they don't know. Look, I was a loser in high school, so it's fine. Uh, at 15, I was... Probably crying in the car while my dad taught me to drive. Yep, yep. I was probably about there, too. Yep. So, I'm sure many of us were. It's stressful. And why Why does my dad get so mad? For no reason. Like, you do, like, you break a little too hard. He's like, God dang! Why are you trying to kill me? <laughs> Things that they told me were going to be a major issue that I used to do when I was 15. I still do them now, and I've never had an issue. So... Look. Yep. Knock on wood. If you're a 15 year old listening to this, you will get past your learner's permit and mm-hmm. things will get better. It will. But in his second year at Harvard, Theodore participated in a psychological study led by Harvard psychologist Henry Murray. And during the study, Theodore, along with 22 other students, were instructed to write essays detailing their personal beliefs and aspirations, basically like their like philosophy on life or you know like a greater purpose Mm -hmm. things like that so the students were then interrogated about their essay in what murray himself called vehement sweeping and personally abusive attacks using the content of the essays as ammunition oh wow yeah that's really good for somebody to 
you know, attack your most personal thoughts on life and what it means. Yes, and evidently <laughs> this is not at all what the subjects thought they were getting into. Which, you know what, I think about this because we went to a researched school. So if you go to a research-based school, mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunities for students to earn extra money. You know, they'll be like, hey, participate in this, like, two-hour-long, you know, study mm-hmm. on a Saturday, and you get 50 bucks. You know, whatever it is. So that's kind of, like, how this was. Yeah. Um. So I do be, I think about that. Like, uh, what would have happened had we participated? Would we have become the next Unabomber? Oh, I don't Only know. Only time will tell. Which some of my, well, I think I maybe only had a couple psych classes in college, but, like, my very first one. We were all required as part of the course to participate in, I think, a certain amount of hours of those research programs. Uh, So, I don't remember the ones I did. I think I did all the ones you could do, like, on the computer that was mostly, like, questionnaires. One of them asked me just, like, really personal questions about my relationship. They were really weird. Uh, But, yeah, I know we were, I was required to do quite a few. She could be the next Unabomber, ladies and gentlemen. I won't be. They didn't scar me, clearly, as I don't remember them. <laughs> she has suppressed it. <laughs> Very possible. But subjects of the study were hooked to electrodes with, that monitor their psychological reactions during these interrogations. And these interactions were filmed and subjects' expressions of anger and rage were later played back to them repeatedly. Which, I mean, that's gotta really fuck with you. Like, you're already frustrated. You've already, I've already told you my aspirations. You're picking it apart, you know. And then you're gonna show it back to me and be like, Oh, you got really mad when I said this. Well, of course I fucking got mad. Also, when I've listened to podcasts on this, they've really, you know, honed in on the fact that he wasn't even... Like an adult, yeah. He was still like 16 or something like that, or 17. Yes, I was just going to say that. So, like, most of the other students, you know, are probably like, I mean, they're still young. Yeah. The college years are still like, you're very impressionable at those ages. But, like, you're probably like 20, 21. He, at the oldest, if he started 16, he might have been 17. Yeah. No bueno. But... The study was intended to measure how people react under stress and to preserve the anonymity of these students participating in the study. Experimenters referred to individuals by code names only. So Kaczynski was called lawful, which that's also got to fuck with you a little bit. Like you're going to basically pick apart all my beliefs, all my hopes and aspirations and then you're not even gonna call me by my name. Yeah. You know? They got wild back like in the Like, you're days. gonna. They did, Lord. The Oh, to be. <laughs> yep, I was gonna say the prison experiment. Uh-huh. Oh, to be in a psychological Ooh. study. Who? But here, alas, <laughs> we were 90s babies. Mm-hmm. Thank God. And some sources have suggested that Murray's experiment was actually part of the CIA's Project MK Ultra, which was the study of mind control that used LSD and hypnosis techniques to brainwash individuals. So, 
between like the 1940s and 1950s, there were reports of chemicals used for interrogation and brainwashing in the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China. So in response to this, the CIA developed a series of programs, including MKUltra. And this is kind of supported because Henry Murray had previously worked for the CIA uh, and may have actually been funded by the MKUltra program. And actually, in the past, like, few years, like fairly recently, the CIA has informed Harvard University officials that Harvard was involved in one way or another in two research projects conducted under the agency's NKUltra Human Behavior Control Project. And there's actual substantial financial records from the CIA outlining Harvard's involvement in the controversial mind control program. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't trust the government. That's enough for me. Pack it (laughs) up. That'll do it. (laughs) So the New York Times has reported that the CIA has also sponsored a series of hallucinogenic drug experiments conducted in the 1950s at a Harvard-affiliated teaching hospital that tested the effects of LSD on students from Harvard and other Boston-area universities. Murray's study lasted three years, and by the time Kaczynski graduated, he had spent 200 hours as part of the study. So that means that he spent 200 hours with someone verbally abusing and humiliating him. Yeah. Not good. I mean, it's not going to, what's it called, justify what he does later. But still, they should not have done that. I see where he was coming from, though. I do see where he was coming from on that. So it was at Harvard that Kaczynski first encountered the ideas about evils of society and began to have fantasies of revenge. In 1962, Kaczynski earned his bachelor's degree in mathematics from Harvard and began studying at the University of Michigan, where he earned his master's and doctoral degree and got a job teaching. And this is actually very interesting. He got both his master's and his doctoral degree in like, Three or four years. Wow. Like, both of them within three or four years. Smarty pants. Which is crazy, because some people will get, like, their doctorate, and it takes them, like, seven years. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we are dealing with someone who is just redonkulous when it comes to math. He was not stressing out about geometry at 15, like I was. No, absolutely not. Now, Kaczynski had a, quote, major... T- turning point in his life when for several weeks in 1966 he experienced intense sexual fantasies of being a female and decided to undergo gender transition he planned to meet with a psychiatrist but changed his mind in the waiting room afterwards he became enraged and felt humiliated and considered killing the psychiatrist and other people whom he hated what did they do so really (laughs) They didn't do, it don't sound like, it really doesn't sound like the psychiatrist did anything because he didn't even go see him. They, did they, <laughs> they didn't even have a meeting. He left in the waiting room. Did he have to read one too many magazines in the waiting room? That's probably it. And they probably were old. They were old magazines. Yeah. He said, this isn't even from this month. 
Someone's already done a crossword in this. <laughs> yeah. In late 1967, Kaczynski began working as an assistant professor at UC Berkeley teaching mathematics. However, he was not well liked by his students and he seemed uncomfortable teaching. He taught straight from the textbook and refused to answer questions. And on June 30th, 1969, he abruptly resigned. Yeah. In 1971, yep. I was just going to (laughs) say, he seems like he would be one of those professors that is way, way, way too smart to where it's impossible for them to actually dumb it down to be able to teach it to you. Yes, they're just like, this This is it. And I don't understand why you don't get this. Yeah. In 1971, he moved into a remote cabin in Montana that had no electricity or running water. He would work odd jobs and receive significant financial support from his family. And this is something that I find very interesting. From everything that I've read on him, he had a very supportive family from what it seems. Like, it wasn't like he had an abusive household or anything. They Mm -hmm. just were kind of like a normal family. Starting in 1975, Kaczynski began performing acts of arson and booby trapping against developments near his cabin. He also began heavily studying psychology and political philosophy, including the works of Jacques Ellul, which his brother David described as Ted's Bible. In 1978, Kaczynski mailed his first bomb to Buckley Christ, who was a professor of materials engineering at Northwestern University, and on May 25th, the package was found in a parking lot of the University of Illinois at Chicago. The package had been returned, like returned to sender, to Crest, who was suspicious because he hadn't sent anything. So he contacted campus police, and Officer Terry Marker opened the package, causing it to, to explode. However, luckily, it caused only minor injuries. Then, Kaczynski's second bomb was sent a year later, again, to Northwestern University. The bomb was inside a cigar box and left on a table, and it exploded when graduate student John Harris opened it, but again, only caused minor injuries. Now, over the next 17 years, yes, 17 years, I was shocked by this. Um, Kaczynski would end up mailing and or hand-delivering a series of increasingly sophisticated bombs. So it was with every single bomb he built, he was like, oh, I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to change it. So I'm going to make it better. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're living in a cabin in the woods, what else do you have to do? Yeah, I mean, I guess he's going to just be chopping wood and building bombs. But... In 1979, the FBI formed a task force that included the ATF and U.S. Postal Inspection Service to investigate the Unabomb. As the bomber was now dubbed the Unabomber by the FBI because his early victims were associated with universities, the task force would end up being made up of more than 150 full-time investigators and analysts. They studied the victims and locations of the bombings in great detail, trying to find a connection. And many of the bombs contained the initial FC, which Kaczynski later said stood for Freedom Club. The bombs were built from scrap metal that could be found almost anywhere, which obviously made it very difficult for investigators to try to figure out, you know, if he's just getting stuff from the junkyard. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Kaczynski also purposely left misleading clues in the devices and took extreme care to prepare them to avoid leaving fingerprints. His victims were also randomly chosen from library research, so it's not like he had any affiliation with these. It's like even though he was kind of taking revenge on people from institutions of higher education, it wasn't like he specifically was seeking out people that had hurt him. Yeah, that's weird. In 1981, a package had been discovered in the hallway at the University of Utah and was successfully diffused by the bomb squad. The following year, a bomb was sent to Patrick Fisher, who was a professor teaching at Vanderbilt University. Fisher was on vacation in Puerto Rico at the time, and his secretary, Janet Smith, opened the bomb and ended up receiving injuries to her face and arms. In July 1982... A bomb injured engineering professor, Diogenes Angelico, at UC Berkeley three years later, and graduate student John Hosser lost four fingers and his vision in one eye from one of Kaczynski's bombs. In 1985, Professor James McConnell and his research assistant were both severely injured after his assistant opened the bomb addressed to McConnell, which, I mean, that was so... You're like, man, I'm like some graduate student. I got to hang out with this dusty professor all the time. <laughs> and I'm out here doing his dirty work, opening his mail, and then I get my ass blown up. Honestly, whenever, you know, whenever I worked at the job I work at now, and even in high school, I worked, like, in a position where I literally just open mail, like, all day. And you think about it, what if there was something? Like, what if it was laced? What was it that the person, was it, is it arsenic? No, anthrax. The anthrax killer. What if it was laced? I mean, luckily I'm still here to tell the tale, which I guess. So, whenever I went to the post office, I actually went today, the lady wore gloves. Do they, do you think they wear gloves for that purpose? Or do you, or is that a COVID thing? It could be a COVID thing, but also I'm going to be honest. I think if I worked at the post office, I'd probably just wear gloves in general because people's, yes, people's shit is gross. Um, I think, I think about that all the time. When I go into the post office, I'm like, what if someone's mailing a bomb right fucking now? Yeah. I'm about to get Mm -mm. blown up trying to buy fucking stamps. I'm pissed. Yeah. Mm -mm. I'm out on that. Yeah. I would have to say that um, people in the post office they are um they're they've got the most dangerous job so remember to to back those boys in blue yeah by blue i mean the blue the blue uniform that the post people wear (laughs) the post office yeah you know what you know what back the brown too that's ups (laughs) back the purple and orange fedex back the gray and blue i think yes amazon gray and blue that's amazon (laughs) I would hope that that people working for Amazon wouldn't. (laughs) I would hope Amazon wouldn't. They the ones packaging it. Look, but just back them all because they come to my house at least once a day. One of those places come to my house. I mean, I guess the post office comes every day, but you know what I mean. Amazon be here almost every day. And Tex is still shocked every day. Every day. He's like, oh, it's a killer. It's a killer. <laughs> in late 1985, 38-year-old computer store owner 
Hugh Scruton died when a nail and splinter loaded bomb placed in the parking lot of his store went off. On February 20th, 1987, Gary Wright was seriously injured when a bomb placed in a computer store in Salt Lake City exploded. The explosion caused severe, like his basically like he had such terrible nerve damage, like Ugh. it, the permanent nerve damage in his left arm, and it actually propelled over two hundred pieces of shrapnel into his body. Oh God! And I would imagine if that's the case, he probably still has shrapnel to this day oh yeah probably some of it because a lot of times yeah they can't get it all out yeah and sometimes they're just like well if it's not causing any damage we'll just leave it there yeah now kaczynski was spotted planting the salt lake city bomb and witnesses were able to provide a description of the subject and a sketch of the hooded suspect with a mustache and aviator glasses was widely distributed mm-hmm. then the unabomber stops for six years until, in 1993, when Kaczynski mailed a bomb to the home of Charles Epstein of the University of California, San Francisco. That same weekend, Kaczynski mailed a bomb to David Galifner, a computer science professor at Yale University. In 1994, Thomas Moser was killed after opening a, mail, a bomb that had been mailed to his home in New Jersey. Then, Kaczynski wrote a letter to the New York Times stating that he had sent the bomb because Moser's work repairing the public image of Exxon after the Exxon Maldives oil spill in 1995. Which, for those of you who don't know, the in 1995 there was a huge oil spill um, because basically some... People work, it had something to do with a ship. A ship basically like ran into something and there was, it was due to negligence and it absolutely destroyed uh, this small fishing town, like the Valdives, mm. because like it ruined people's livelihoods. So, that, you know, it would be like the BP oil spill. Yeah. So basically Moser must've been on the marketing team mm. to help, you know, kind of patch things up. And so I could see where Kaczynski was like, this person has no morals, this person doesn't care about the greater good, and probably, you know, made that connection. Yes, as a dude who's been sending bombs to everybody. <laughs> you know? Sounds like He's a kind of like a Robin Hood. He, he kind of <laughs> like, like a Robin Hood character, you know? <laughs> like, all, all gross looking. Because he... Yeah. Because when I've seen pictures of him, he just looks, he looks like he's been in a basement just, like, seething with rage for years. Yeah, well, he has no electricity or running water in his cabin, so that's to be expected. Well, that's his own fault. (laughs) That is true. Then Gilbert Murray, president of the Timber Industry Lobbying Group, California Forestry Association, was killed when a bomb addressed to the previous president William Dennison, who had retired, went off. And I, I don't really know what his motives were with that, other than, like, you know, thinking, like, deforestation. I don't know. Maybe he really, maybe he's, like, a go green type of guy. I think he was. I he think said, I've... if you don't, re- if you, if you don't recycle, I swear I'm gonna blow your ass up. 
yeah i heard like when i listen to other podcasts they would talk about how he was just like he's like very anti like technology almost and it seemed like he was really you know for the earth you know you know he had the right uh it seems like he kind of had the right thoughts but clearly the world's worst execution of uh Mm. his goals and Mm -hmm. aspirations um you know he could have just you know maybe started a rumor that birds weren't real yeah and things could have been a little bit different or he could have went to like a pro you know he could have went to a protest or something and held up a peace sign you know that looked like the globe or something i don't know so many options but alas he went the road less traveled yeah In 1995, Kaczynski began writing letters to newspapers and magazines. The Washington Post, in conjunction with the New York Times, published copies of the 35,000-word essay that Kaczynski titled Industrial Society and Its Future. In the manifesto, he claimed his motives and views of the ills of modern society. The FBI approved the publishing of the essay in hopes that a reader could identify the author. Which happened. Kaczynski's brother, David, recognized his brother's handwriting and reported it. Mm -hmm. The FBI then arrested Kaczynski at his Montana cabin on April 3rd, 1996. Inside the cabin, they found bomb components, 40,000 handwritten journal pages, and descriptions of Unabomber crimes, as well as one live bomb ready for mailing. Kaczynski initially attempted the insanity plea, however, despite being diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic, he was believed to be competent. In exchange for the government's uh, agreement to not seek the death penalty, Kaczynski pled guilty to 13 federal bombing offenses that killed three men and seriously injured two others and acknowledged responsibility for 16 bombings from 1978 to 1995. And on May 4th, 1998, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in a supermax prison in Colorado. Lord have mercy. Yeah, well, that is the story of the Unabomber. And... I'm going to kind of leave that to you. Do you think that he was part of, he was a subject of the MK Ultra program? Like, did the government essentially create their big, one of their biggest threats? I don't know. I feel like it was, def- that was definitely didn't help. Um, I don't know would he have gone this way otherwise i really don't know i don't know which if he was mentally ill if he was actually mentally ill like he if he actually had schizophrenia um and he was as smart as he was you know and without proper help something bad was probably likely to happen but i really Mm -hmm. couldn't say yeah yeah but uh and it's always interesting because there is there is that that like theory or like belief that people who are super duper smart like are they more likely to be serial killers but then you cause, but but you never know cuz you've got someone like this who's so super smart but then you also have someone like Ed Gein who had like yeah. a super low yeah. so i don't know like i really don't know if i necessarily believe 
that there is a correlation between IQ Mm-mm. and your, you know, the likelihood that you'll become a serial killer. No. Um, but, you know, I do think it's an interesting, you know, area of study. Yeah. I also don't really know much about IQ, but I also feel like a lot of emphasis is placed on IQ. But, like, a person with a very, very high IQ maybe smart when it comes to, like, books and all that, but, like, they could be the dumbest person in street smarts. Like, they could, you know, just walk out. They could, like, I don't know, they just wouldn't know how to conduct themselves, like, in normal everyday life. So who's to say that a high IQ makes you smart, but then if you have a low IQ but you're really good at this, like, working with your hands or something like that, that you're not smart? Um, I don't know. The modern idea of IQ... I don't know about it. I don't know what my IQ is, so I guess I can't really speak to it. But I don't really care because it's not going to... If I learn it, it's not going to help me either way. No, and I feel like it's probably going to hurt my ego if I <laughs> test my IQ. I feel that. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, the only quizzes that I'll be taking is like a BuzzFeed quiz. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what does my favorite type of bread say about me? You know, some shit like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Same. But thank you for that. That story, I used to avoid that story on podcasts because for some reason, the name Unabomber sounds so boring. I don't know why. The name just seems very dull and boring. But then when I actually listen to the story, I'm like, oh, ooh. Because the whole, like, experimental study part, that part's fascinating. Yes, I, I didn't really... I didn't really think that the bomber was... And to me, I think I just didn't know very much about him. So I was like, oh, what did he just blow up one thing? I literally thought... That's what I thought. I thought the unit was like, he bombed once. I never understood it. And then when they finally said it, I was like, yeah. Y'all should have come up with something else because that's very confusing. Because it sounds boring. I mean, I know the goal for serial killer names is not to make them sound fancy and fun. You know what I mean? But whatever y'all get yeah, y'all get the FBI for you they're like how can we make this as boring as possible you know but that is the story of why that's one of the many reasons i don't trust the government yeah i feel that um so what's our theme next week or what are we doing next week more or less so um next week i will be on vacation wow. i know you're all jealous i am but I'll be on vacation, so uh, we will be re-releasing a episode, so stay tuned for that, but make sure to follow us on all of our Instagrams, Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, TikToks, email us at this is gonna sound weird at gmail.com, yep. you know, you know, follow us on our personal TikToks. Taylor posted a TikTok earlier today that got a decent amount of likes. <laughs> I was uh, like, this is interesting. Wow. Yeah. Also, if you ever have thoughts on, like, a case we cover, like, literally, just email us. I'd like to hear it. Like, if you have thoughts on the Unabomber, or if you think birds aren't real, like, you don't have to email it and, like, say, i just like to know what other people are thinking out there, because I know somebody's listening. So, just let us know. You know. It could just be, yeah, I didn't like this episode because of this. Be nice about it, though. Yeah, please don't be like, I didn't like this episode because I hate Sydney's guts. Yeah. Please like, don't say anything you like don't that. Know her I'm like very that. fragile. <laughs> yeah, you don't know her. You don't know me like that. Um, only my closest friends get to roast me like that. Yeah. Thank you. But um, I, we, I guess we won't see you next week, but we will see you next week. 
But until we do see you, please, please stay weird. Yeah. And goodbye. Goodbye. Don't trust birds. <laughs>